Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone, so listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And welcome back to Black True Crime. Uh, if this is your first time ever at the show, welcome and hello. Namaste. Okay. <laughs> we love you already. And this week's case is pretty crazy. Okay. It's been requested several times by different people so i just wanted to go ahead and cover it now and i'm excited every time somebody requests something it's always bonkers it's horrible so i'm not excited for this i'm not you shouldn't be kristen it's probably gonna hurt your feelings a lot because it was destroying (sighs) me when i was writing it so let's dive right in if you have a sibling, you know how it feels to argue and fight and sometimes even hate them. But would you go as far as to murder your own blood? Join us as we discuss one of the most horrendous crimes committed in Memphis history. Join us as we discuss the Leicester Street Massacre. So let's start with the family and a little background on like them. So Jesse... Dotson Sr. and Priscilla Shaw got married in 1972 in Memphis, Tennessee. Kristen, what happened in Black history in 1970s or Memphis, Tennessee? Period. Okay, guys. (laughs) Hi, I'm back. Let's get into it. Memphis in the 1970s. So picture this. In the 70s, the black movement or the civil rights movement in Memphis was turning away from its usual protest style of activism to political activism. Explain, sister. Okay, sis, I will. Give me time. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And can we just acknowledge that Kayla is definitely giving Nicki Minaj right now? Okay. I just needed to put it out there. I dye a wig. And she doesn't. The, know the how wig to barely act. has a part. <laughs> like going to the back, it's just giving Nicki Minaj. She told me I look like pregnant Nicki Minaj vibes, and it's yeah. like. But I didn't think people need to know your business. So. That's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Comment in the DMs. Let us know. Okay. What you think? Black Memphians were being elected at all levels of government in Memphis, state, local, even federal. All that. And this is in the 1970s. Yes. While white people were at this time relocating to the suburbs of Shelby County. Mm. In 1974, Harold Ford Sr. became the first black person from Tennessee to be elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Yes, Harold. Yes, Harold. And Harold ended up serving 22 years in that position. So thank you for your service, Harold. Thank you for your service, Harold. Wait, was he like a, you know, like a good black person or like a sellout black person well here's the thing don't know didn't look all that up (laughs) this is just a synopsis of memphis if you guys want to know a little bit more about harold ford senior look him up yeah 
1978, Willie Harrington became the first black man to be appointed as the Memphis school superintendent. And then he was the first black appointed mayor in 1991. Good for him. Like, I really love that because I feel like in order to be like dealing with kids, you got to have a certain type of style, a certain type of swagger because kids can see through the lies. They literally sell you out. <laughs> your kids are gonna sell you out probably they every time will hone in on your very weakness and exploit it like yeah. <laughs> i can't wait to have kids <laughs> so yeah so that happened also on the soul music side of memphis in the 70s it was popping as well mm-hmm. huge mu- musicians and specifically blues musicians made their names in memphis for one of them was named bb king i don't know if oh. you guys know Oh. But he's like the greatest blues musician to perform ever. And he King actually King of Jazz, I think they called him or something. I think I think they called him King of the Blues. But he was found performing on Beale Street, which is down in Memphis, mm-hmm. as early as in the 1940s. Dope. Also, Bobby Blue Band mm. performed on Beale Street as well. And he's another king within the blues repertoire mm-hmm. or nice. blues era. Mm-hmm. So a female artist, Ann Peebles. She was known for her 70s hits called I Can't Stand the Rain. Mm. Um, and there was another one, but I forget. I Can't Stand the Rain. Is it that one? Is that how it really goes? Kiss my window. That one? Because <laughs> I love that fucking shit. <laughs> we should play an excerpt. I feel like it is. Yeah, I'll try to see if I can throw it in there without like losing money. or Yeah, or like something. making it <laughs> yeah. hot. So Ann Peebles was actually High Records, a record company at the mm-hmm. time's most successful female recording artist. Wow, I love that. And this that. is like all in the like late 1900s, 1970s. Like it was popping in Memphis. People yeah. were dancing, gyrating, um, activating, mm-hmm. and the black community was lit. So <laughs> activating their jerry curls. I love it all. Thank you, sister, for that trip down history lane. No problem, guys. Till next time. Dope, dope, Okay, so Memphis, Tennessee, 1972, Jesse and Priscilla are getting married. Priscilla was only 15 at the time, and Jesse was 19, which, you know, back then people were doing shit like that. But it's still a bit much. It is, it is, it is. They had a daughter named Nicole soon after they got married, and this was around the time that Jesse Sr. joined the army as well. They were then stationed in Florida, where during their time there, they would welcome their son, Jesse Jr., in 1974. And there's like a lot of juniors and seniors involved in this story. So just in this case, so just follow. At some point, the mother and daughter, Nicole, left Florida and went back to Memphis. So soon after they returned, Nicole got so sick that Jesse Sr. left his station and returned to Memphis to like be with his family. Thankfully, she recovered. She didn't, you know, die or anything like that, but it got bad. Mm -hmm. After three more years in the army, Jesse Sr. was honorably discharged. And around the same time, they welcomed their second son, Cecil, who was three years younger than Jesse Jr. So three kids. I don't know how many years they've been together at this time. Yeah. Really close in age. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. The family dynamic wasn't all positives, though. Priscilla once went on a church trip to New Orleans, and when she returned, 
She came back with a boyfriend, y'all. Uh-uh, Priscilla. She no, had a new didn't. man. She had a new man. And she told Jesse Sr. she didn't want to be with his ass no more. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. But somehow the couple stayed married after this. And I believe, according to court documents, that this was around the time the physical abuse really started to show itself and in front of the children, no less. So it's not good. Priscilla became fed up with it and decided to save it up save up enough money to leave her abusive husband. So we've heard this story probably a hundred times. The man comes home from work, his wife and kids are gone. So that's how that was. And Jesse being six and Cecil being three at the time, they were like, where's our dad? It was just a huge change for them very quickly. It's sad. It's kind of, it's sad on both ends, but don't be putting your hands on folks. You can't put your hands on women. Hello. And women, we can't be putting our hands on men either. Okay. Mm -hmm. We get no passes. We don't. We really don't. So because of the military, obviously they were in the military for a time and the unstable income the family experienced, the children and their mother moved around a lot. They didn't have much money and you know how kids are. They're really cruel. So when they would go to school, they were bullied for this. Mm -hmm. Jesse would even skip school because of how bad they were teasing him. At an early age, he was diagnosed with a learning disability in reading and math and had to be enrolled in like classes that provided extra help mm-hmm. so the teasing you know kids are terrible <laughs> kids are horrible they learn from their parents next question <laughs> so he struggled behaviorally in school as well he even received individual counseling sessions at school which i think was pretty dope like they kind of went out of their way to see if they could help him and yeah. see what the fuck is going on yeah. and when the school tried to reach out to priscilla his mom you know, to talk with her about his performance and everything like that. She either canceled or didn't show up. So he wasn't getting what he really needed. And then moms he, have to work. She was yeah. busy. I get it. You know, yeah. she can't just take off and yeah. for a meeting at the school. So I get it. But it got to the point that he was missing so much school that he failed the fourth grade twice. Dang. Twice. That's two years to get it right. <laughs> yeah. By the time Jesse was 16, he dropped out. Well, it's hard to say he dropped out. Technically, the Memphis City public school system got so tired of suspending him from school that they just completely expelled him from their school system. So he just was kicked out. And at that time, he was still in the eighth grade, 16 in the eighth grade. That's kind of that's kind of wild. The math is. Very not mathing. It's yeah. not mathing. And he'd been to about 10 different schools at that time. Wow. Kayla. Like, I know we've been to probably over 15 yeah. schools, but like More. from the, from eighth grade back, yeah. 10 yeah. schools. That's just based just based on behavioral issues, not even being moved around from, you know, district to district type of thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. According to a caseworker named Miss Shettles, she said that she believes Jesse could have performed really well in school if he just actually showed up and behaved long enough, you know, but he just didn't. And he would get into fights a lot and apparently had issues with his little brother Cecil, too. So, yeah, they're brothers, but at an early age, they were kind of getting into it with each other. I wonder if it's just like normal brother rivalry. Right, right, right. Or like like something deeper. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Jesse was already in the juvie court system by the age of 15. He was arrested multiple times. Priscilla would be in and out of court because of him. You know, she already can't really take off work. So I'm sure it was really inconvenient. 
And when she couldn't be there, Nicole, which is their older sister, would step in or step in. And this is the whole time this is happening. Has the father tried to look for them or was he like, oh, she left? Okay. I don't. Great question. I don't know at what time in their lives that their father actually came back into their lives, but it was it did happen at a point. Is this a foreshadow, Kayla? I was about to say, I didn't want to tell you, but I can (laughs) tell you this. It's not going to, like, fuck up the story or anything. Okay, bet. So Nicole really tried to look out for her younger brothers. Their mother obviously had to work a lot to take care of them, and Nicole would try to look after them at the best of her ability as, you know, a kid herself. Right. And the thing is, the food would be locked up when their mother wasn't home, so they couldn't get to it. I'm not sure how she expected them to eat. Maybe there was like a certain amount that she allowed them to have access to, but they were in such need of food that when they would visit their grandmother's house on Sundays for, you know, Sunday dinner, Jesse and Cecil would steal money from her purse. Dang. Yeah. Just to go buy food for the house. It see, I, that's what the court documents said. They could have been spending it on other stuff too, you know, kids, but I guess that's where it started. And they'd obviously get into a lot of trouble for doing this, but they continued to do it. And it got so bad to the point that their grandmother just banned the two boys from coming to her house at all. Like, damn, you're stealing from your grandma, though. You could have just asked her for it. Right. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, did you ask her and she said no? Was she stingy? Like, why did you escalate like that? And then continue to do it to where she's like, don't come over my house. Yeah, you're not welcome here. That's pretty, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, fuck, they fucked with her to the point that they pushed her there. I don't blame her. She should have, never mind. Well, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I'm after say, leaving. I'm about to say, she should have hit a switch on him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I felt it coming. I know what you're putting down, Kristen. But it's so, so <laughs> dangerous. It's, yeah, it's 2022. We can't Yeah, talk we about can't that. say switches. <laughs> So after leaving school, Jesse didn't really work much. The only legit job he held was at 18 when he worked as a security guard. But that was pretty much it. By 19 years old, Jesse was pleading guilty to a second degree murder charge. Jesse. And in 1994, he was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Jesse. What happened, sir? I I mean... I can see like how yeah, we got yeah, there, yeah, but yeah. felt like there we got there so quickly. It really escalated. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what situation. I couldn't find any court documents about that. If you guys have any information about that, let me know. I would love mm-hmm. to know about that. Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, I wonder if he was into drugs. I wonder if he like got caught up with the wrong type of crew. Like, what was he on? Well, we'll kind of get into that. So off rip, you know, he's in prison and he's already acting a motherfucking fool. He's receiving hella write-ups for refusing to comply, cursing at officers, and even offenses involving violent activities and weapons. Mm -hmm. He joined the Crips while he was in prison. So here we go with the being around the wrong crowd type of thing. And maybe he was a part of the gang outside of prison. I'm not really sure. He was specifically a part of the Kitchen Crips. Okay. The The Kitchen Crips. The Kitchen Crips. Mm -hmm. Were they Crips that were found in the kitchen worked in the kitchen Kristen I don't know these details but we can assume yes 
So they were involved. He was involved and four other inmates attacked another inmate with a knife for trying to leave the gang. So sliced him up a bit, you know, so he's he's a violent guy. We can see. Right. But while he was in prison, literally the whole time, none of his family members visited him. (laughs) His mother and father only visited him once. And he spoke to his dad like a handful of times on the phone. Wow. During his entire stay, he was there for fourteen years. But you said eighteen years. No, oh, he, he got, got sentenced. sentenced. Yeah, yeah. He was released in August of two thousand seven. Like when you when you know somebody that you know is in jail, but they're gonna be released. Yeah. Like, and then you still don't put an active effort into like talking to them and stuff. It makes yeah. me feel like they were pissed. Yeah. Were you pissed about him murdering someone? I'm like, sure he- they were. I'm sure. <laughs> Like we're, but usually, you know, families usually stick by the person's side, you know, even when they're wrong. So for me to see this family be like, we don't want nothing to do with you. It makes me feel like, dang, like he must have really been a little bad apple. Yeah, it's hard to tell because clearly he, well, it's not clear yet, but he had a relationship with his family once he got out of prison. So I don't think they said that they don't fuck with him completely. I just think it's like, I'm not driving out to the prison to see (laughs) you. Like, I I don't really know how that dynamic was, but I wish Mm -hmm. I knew more. But just seven months after his release, Jesse would commit a mass murder that paralyzed the city of Memphis and traumatized the, the police the officers that arrived at that scene before they were at 722 Wow. Mm-hmm. It's going to get really bad. Trigger warning for everyone. If you're on Patreon, there's going to be some pretty graphic pictures of the crime scene included in video and some interview video of this fucking murderer as well oh my gosh mind you jesse looks a little nutty he definitely looks like he wasn't born with all the screws he was supposed to be yeah or he lost them over time it's giving kristen what is it giving it's giving nut house <laughs> missing two in the front um <laughs> it's giving jailhouse girlfriend scarecrow like it's giving <laughs> Oh my god. It's giving you send this one out if you really want some nutty shit to get done. Yeah. Like you put the gun in his hand. Mm-hmm. It's giving I walk on my hands and my feet. <laughs> it's, giving, <laughs> it's giving I've seen Satan. Okay. I've seen the lies of the Jedi. <laughs> That's all I've got. I'm screaming. Well, it's gonna get really bad, so let's take like a little ad break. Just a little one. Okay, we'll be right back. (laughs) So I'm just going to give it to you guys in the order that the events were reported in the court documents. Okay, so this is what I wrote from what I read. So at the time of the murders, 30-year-old Cecil Dotson, remember that's Jesse's brother, his 27-year-old fiance and mother to four of his children named Marissa Williams, along with Cecil's five children, had recently moved into 722 Leicester Street together. And at the time, Cecil was working as a maintenance man for an apartment complex nearby. So the little family was getting their shit together. They were getting by, you know? Jesse had been out of prison for about seven months at at this point, and since his release, he'd been living with their sister, Nicole, in an apartment at Goodwill Village in Memphis. And he was also working. He was working as a painter with his father at the time. So, Hmm. you know... Not sitting on their asses and doing nothing, which is dope. And he came back and he plugged into his family. So Right. They cool. they accepted him and, you know, gave him a place to stay and some work. So that's great. 
On March 1st, 2008, Jesse Sr., Jesse Jr., and William, who was Cecil and Jesse's half-brother, went to Cecil's house to watch the University of Memphis basketball game that was on that day. So Cecil's five children and, and his fiance were all home at this time as well. But for some reason, Cecil TV wasn't acting right and wouldn't let them watch the game. Mm-hmm. So Jesse Sr. left around 6, 6.30. He said he saw Cecil on the porch cleaning his grill, like preparing to cook. So he was fine. And when William left Cecil's house, it was around 10, 30, 11. He said Cecil was fine as well. And Jesse okay. Jr. was there too. Cecil was fine. Jesse Sr. said when he arrived at Nicole's apartment the next morning to pick up Jesse Jr. for work, they had to work that morning, he wasn't there. And Nicole said he hadn't come home that night before. Hmm. Okay. Later that same day, Jesse called his father to let him know he was sorry for not calling because, you know, hello, you missed work. You didn't yeah, show up. Where you yeah. Been? yeah. He told him that his girlfriend at the time had hidden his cell phone after they gotten into an argument that Corny. night. <laughs> corny believable but also like corny. why you know as a grown man but come yeah. on yeah mm-hmm. but he didn't mention why he missed work that morning you know you still could have shown up to work let's be real you mm-hmm. still could have found a way to nicole's house regardless of not having a phone mm-hmm. later that evening jesse jr and william so william would go by fat some like they would call him fat 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 <laughs> just, well, yeah just fat <laughs> They call him fat. So they went out to eat and Junior asked if they should pick up Cecil. Like, you know, to hang out with them. They yeah. all used to hang out. But yeah. Fat was like, nah, I've been calling that motherfucker all day. He's been ignoring me, so just forget him. Mm-hmm. Okay. A few hours later, Junior called his dad again and tells him that Nicole wants him to go to the house and check on Cecil because the mother of Cecil's two-year-old son, who was Cecil the second was like freaking out. She was like, I have been calling him all weekend. Where's my kid? You know, Mm -hmm. she even went to the door and no one answered the door. She was knocking, knocking, knocking. Nothing. Right. Where's my child? Like, don't play with me. You know, Mm -hmm. she said the door was partially open and she could hear the radio playing inside, but no children or like anyone making noise. Cecil's baby mother called fat who advised her to call the police, and she did. So she just decided to wait there until Mm. they arrived. Girl, wouldn't that be like something I would do, though? I would be so scared. I would would fucking fucking kick that door in so quick, (laughs) screaming bloody murder, flailing my arms. Like, just (laughs) whatever. Like, like, no, yes. If my child's in there, are you joking? I'm about to sit here and wait for some cops. I would bust in the door. But I could just see me being nervous to go in. Like, oh. Of course. That's that's totally understandable. This is a shitty situation. And I bet she was like, Lord, please, Lord, please don't let this be, you know, what I think Yeah, because when you see a cracked door and you hear radio, it's just giving heebie-jeebies. It's giving last house on the left. I can't. So, okay, Officer Randall, his name is Officer Randall Davis. He was the first one on the scene, and he would later testify at trial that he could, quote, smell the dead bodies. Good Lord. When he entered the home, he saw four adult bodies dead on the floor. 
two more officers arrived and continued through the house with him. And Davis headed toward the bathroom where he found nine-year-old Cecil Jr. laying in the bathtub with a knife sticking out of his head. And if you're on Patreon, for God's sakes, be careful. You're about to see some shit. You're not going to see the actual knife in his head, but you're going to see an x-ray with the knife in his head. And it's just gruesome and terrible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He thought CJ was dead at first, but when he saw his eyes flutter, he alerted paramedics to get like the fuck in there and help him. So that was like one explanation of what he saw. And then someone else had an explanation of what they saw. And we'll get to that. Okay. Mm -hmm. In a bedroom on the left side of the hallway, Officer Davis found four-year-old Samario deceased from his wounds. And then another bedroom found two-year-old Cecil II and five-year-old Cedric. My soul is being ripped out of my behind. I gave you a warning that I don't think was... A good enough warning at the top, but yeah, it's it's bad. Kill the two-year-old baby. Yeah. Another officer found two-month-old Sanaya, who was still alive, thank the Lord, and three children were transported to the children's hospital. Are you freaking joking me? So I'm you mean joking. to tell me like this person, Jesse, put his hands on kids that like are younger than the age of five? Yes. And then almost killed a nine-year-old? Yes. He stabbed a nine-year-old in the head. Yes, Kristen. His own nephew. Um, pure evil. Pure jealousy, rage, evil. You have what I don't have. I hate you. That's what it's giving. It's giving nothing else but that. Like you're attacking a two-month-old baby. Get your ass back in jail. Get your ass under the Back in jail. prison. Yes. A firefighter would later describe the blood spell as, quote, a thick, spoiled smell like it had been there a while. Mm. He said about the adult victims, quote, just by looking at them and just the horrific scene that was there with all the blood and everything, it was obvious that they had been down for a while, end quote. Like, they didn't even check the pulses of the adults because they already knew. It was that obvious the blood was severely dried they had been there for a while so furthermore that means the kids have been there for a while kristen fighting for their their lives lives. absolutely paramedics later testified that when they entered the bathroom to help cj he quote turned his head and the next thing we saw was one of the most horrible things i've ever seen it was a knife stuck embedded in his skull and it was just stuck there and it absolutely is the worst thing i've ever seen in my life end quote oh could you imagine i want to i want to vomit right now (laughs) and when you see how deep this knife is in this little boy's head i'm thinking how did he survive right right how it's in his brain you know it touched his brain it couldn't have not have well, we'll get to all of that. Girl, this is too much. It's a lot. This one's a dark one. In addition to the knife, CJ had puncture wounds to his abdomen and multiple superficial cuts to his neck. So, so you he know, was being stabbed. he was being stabbed, attacked, trying to be killed viciously. 
By 2.30 a.m. on Tuesday, March 4th, the deceased victims were transported to the morgue for autopsies, and those victims were identified as 30-year-old Cecil, 27-year-old Michelle Williams, his fiance, 33-year-old Hollis Seals, their friend, and his 22-year-old girlfriend, Shendry Robertson, and all appeared to have sustained multiple gunshot wounds. How about the thing? It gotta be gunshots. Four Hat. grown Absolutely. individuals yes. getting shot down by one person. That makes sense. Yeah. Police started investigating intensely, like off the bat, because there's six people that are dead right now. This is fucking inhumane. So they found out pretty quickly that all of the adult victims Wait, had- six people are dead? Yes. Yeah, so we haven't gotten to the children that, that have died. So all of the adult victims had multiple gunshot wounds and all except Hollis Seals had been shot at least once in the leg. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he just came in, guns blazing, tried to, you know, incapacitate them first mm-hmm. and then kept shooting them. After having already been there for hours. Like what happened? I have no idea. Yet. We'll, we'll get to it. Two guns were used in the shooting, a 9mm and a 38 caliber, although neither gun was found at the scene, or I, I think they never found the guns, ever. Mm-hmm. However, shell casings were found basically everywhere. So, it seemed at first that the killer tried to gather the shell casings together because police found under a jacket, like a Ziploc bag of 11 shell casings. So, it definitely seemed like this person had ample amount of time to try to clean up and was really trying to make sure that nothing would lead back to them. Right. Investigators also felt that the bodies had been staged or moved after the murders. Their placements weren't consistent with how they received their injuries. And Cecil had a bag of weed like in his left hand, which wouldn't really stay in his hand if he's been shot, you know, shot. shot up. Exactly. Which made it feel like it made investigators feel like this person's trying to make us think it's about drugs. Yeah, period. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you think you're slick. You think you're Jesse. slick, and you're not, and you're not. Cecil had sustained several gunshot wounds, including several to the front of his body, one to his neck, one to the bottom of his foot, and several to his lower legs. Mm-hmm. So, just shot head to toe. Miss Robertson was found, and that was Shindri was found on the floor between the sofa and the love seat. Her shirt was pulled up, exposing, like, you know, her chest. And her pants were pulled down, exposing her <laughs> top up from the knees. Like, mm-hmm. knees up was exposed, which is fucked. Like, did he try to rape her? I don't think so. A clear plastic bag containing what looked like crack was found like on the outer portion of her vagina. So it literally just looked like someone like threw it onto her. That 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 really pissed me off. I yeah, will that fucking, pissed me off too. I like, will fucking I'm say done that. with her. Boom. Throw yeah. it. Like yeah. she ain't nothing. Exactly. Oh God, this is bad. So Marissa Williams was located on the floor and she was slumped over uh, Shindri's legs with her legs like positioned across it, it's kind of hard to explain, but they were placed on top of each other basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hollis was located across from the front door and near the door connecting the kitchen and the living room. And he was wearing a black shirt and black pants at that time. And his pants were also pulled down to below his knees. Like, what are you doing, you weirdo? What's your thought process? What the fuck is wrong with you? 
then it's like was this staging afterhand or did you make them do something beforehand like no this was afterwards so the blood where the blood splatter and the blood pools were in the house it was suggesting that hey this person didn't die in this position they died over here and replaced there later by the killer like you're gross jesse super fucking gross it was decided that all of the injuries made to the children were inflicted with kitchen knives and wooden boards the killer found in the home. It was apparent that the killer removed the knife handles as to not leave fingerprints or even his own blood evidence behind. I mean, yeah. really was going to the extra mile to make sure nobody in that house survived. And you won't yeah. know it was me. Who did it? Yep. Yep. All weapons used in in the crime were native to that home, which led investigators to know that the killer is familiar with everything in that house, where it is, how many guns, what they could use, all that shit. And that's it's, what he It's is. bad. It's bad. Police believe that the killer blocked the children from being able to leave. Because like the windows, most of the windows were barred up. So even if the children, while their parents are literally being killed, you know, even if they tried to leave, they couldn't. So he blocked their way. They couldn't get through to the living room and essentially went from room to room, like killing them. And this is bad, guys. This is is giving premeditated. Oh, Kristen, 110%. So basically he was stabbing the two month old baby in the same bathroom as he attacked her nine-year-old brother and there was evidence of all the children's blood and hair in each room meaning that the killer was transferring the evidence because he kept going like back and forth room to room yeah this is sick sis like i don't have many words for this case this and is- this case this case was covered on first 48 Kristen. you know first 48 is like yeah, my guilty everything mm-hmm and it's fucked up man so you watched the episode i sure did i watched the episode before i ever knew that you know someone wanted us to cover this case so Mm -hmm. when i went back and watched it it just was it was so bad it was so bad i have a question i know we're not at trial yet but like do you think there could be any mental illness here he was kind of slow with reading and math in Mm -hmm. school like do you think that it could have been more than just education slow. Like maybe it's actually a mental illness. Um, to, For this level of violence to his own people, no. I know that's that would be the easiest way to explain this horribleness away because who the fuck does this to their own brother and nephews, you know, family members. But I don't think any mental illness was involved. And we'll kind of get to it. Well, we're you'll see him. You guys will be able to hear his voice, hear what he has to say about the situation. And you guys can kind of determine for yourself. Police are wondering how the killer had so much time to manipulate the scene. He collected shell casings, got rid of the knife handles, pulled pants down, which is not easy to do on a lifeless body. Hello. Mm -hmm. He did a lot. So they're feeling like he knew that he would have time time because no one was supposed to be coming to the house because he's someone that's super close to the victim. And that's how they knew where they needed to start. I'm telling you, bro, like the BAU behavioral analyst, like y'all are dope because <laughs> when the like, when the evidence tells you something, okay, that's one thing. But when mm-hmm. you can read the evidence as if you were there and you're visualizing how that happened, like yeah. that's good detective work. Super good. 
So naturally, the family gets word of what has happened and is just beside themselves with grief. They show up to the scene. Everyone, including Jesse Jr., showed up, and they are trying to figure out what happened. If you're on Patreon, you'll see a clip of Jesse literally at the scene. Like, it's fucking so fucked mm. No one knows, obviously, what's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that he's done what he's done, but... But you know so cringy. watching him yes. be there is insane. Yes, it's bad. Police start canvassing the neighborhood, talking to, you know, neighbors, family members, trying to get a sense of who may have done this. When they ask Michelle's mother, and Michelle is, you know, Cecil's fiance and baby mother, she told him that the other baby mother, the mother of Cecil II, was their biggest enemy at the time. And this is the same baby mother that called the police and was like, you know, come check this out. Where's my baby? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the time, she was she had been beefing with the couple, but police were quickly able to find out that she had nothing to do with it. Right. Police interviewed Jesse Jr. that same day down at the station at the request of their lieutenant, which I think is pretty dope that their lieutenant was like, See what this person, see what this person got to say. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't under arrest or anything. They just were basically interviewing him as a potential witness. You Mm -hmm. know, he was at the scene, whatever. So Jesse told investigators about how they went to Cecil's house on March 1st to watch the game, but wasn't able to because, you know, Cecil's TV was fucking up. And he claimed it was Jesse Sr., Fat, Cecil, and then Hollis Seals showed up later. So according to Jesse, Cecil Hollis and himself ran a couple errands around town. They went to pick up some weed, went to pick up Hollis's girlfriend, Shindri. And at around 2 a.m., between 2 and 2.30, the men dropped Jesse off at his girlfriend, Sheila's house. Mm -hmm. He claimed that Sheila wasn't home at the time he got there, but her daughter was, and that he even got into an argument with her about being alone with her boyfriend at the house. So, Mm. you know, trying to paint a picture of an alibi. Right. When investigators asked if he knew if Cecil had any enemies, he straight off the bat had somebody in mind. So he told them his brother was a member of the gangster dis- gangster disciples. And recently he was in trouble with the game because he'd previously called the police on one of their members, which is obviously like a huge no, no. Yeah. You, know, you snitch him. Cecil, why the fuck would you do that? Right, if, you, you know, you if that's, him? if that's true, mm-hmm. Cecil's not here to defend himself. So he was facing a trial type of situation within the gang, but failed to show up for his hearing. And as a result of this conversation, police started to look into the possibility of the gang activity was true and that they might have been involved. But long story short, they learned that they were barking up the wrong tree. And the the gang was pissed off that they were even implicated in murdering women and children. Okay. Like really pissed off. They actually took some steps toward retaliation too. Towards who? Jesse? Listen, listen, girl. So Priscilla, you know, Jesse and Cecil's mother, said that she'd found her front door kicked in. I think this is on March 5th. So this is after the bodies have already been discovered. Police are poking their nose at everything and everybody. So it's probably related to what the fuck, you know, they said about the gangster disciples. Mm -hmm. So they moved in with a cousin named Sharhanda Lane and called police asking them to provide like a protective detail outside of their home. Which the police provided, and when they arrived, Jesse was there, and Jesse started freaking out, you guys. He started saying that the police were coming for him, and that he was going to be arrested for something he didn't do. Corny. Like, you can't even keep it together. (laughs) You're getting away with it, and you can't even keep it together. He, I don't even know if he's getting away with it. He's, he's... 
going with the motions, you know, not trying to draw more attention to himself. And then bam, here's like the spotlight. Wow. He said that they should have buried him with his brother. And then he grabbed a gun and held it to his own head. What a it's the dramatics like, for me. <laughs> what a drama queen. And oh like for God. me, like you know how we can we can tell for the most part there's always something being said about a person being mentally, you know, incapacitated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We can even infer that from their childhood. Yeah. But with Jesse, it just feels like a big boy crying out for attention. Absolutely. I feel like it's bitterness because nobody came to visit him while he was in prison. Like Kayla, I think it really stems from from that and some other things that happened between Cecil and his, you know, and Jesse. We'll get to that later. Okay. Yeah. So Sharhanda ran outside to the cop who'd arrived and told him that he'd threatened to commit suicide if they came into the house. So they were like, okay, call him on your cell phone right now and let us talk to him. So they're talking to him and they seem to get him to calm down after about five minutes of talking. And Jesse lets them in the house. This is when he told an officer that, quote, everybody thinks I did it. I've been all on the news and the police saying I did it, end quote. Hmm. Was I hope Honestly, I hope they were screaming to the rooftops that he's probably involved because yeah. six people are dead, two children, three children are in the hospital. Hello. So the officers were able to convince him to put his weapon down and they were able to transfer the family to a safe house. So they put them all in a safe house, including Jesse. I'm like, do they even know that they're taking the person that everyone needs to be safe from to I the mean, safe house? If if it's in the papers and the news that, hey, he's probably involved, I'm sure they have an idea, but I don't really even know what they can do at that point because they don't have an arrest warrant you know they can't technically arrest him for anything yet so so while all this is going on the three surviving children are still in the hospital being treated so we're going to get a look into the injuries that they have cj's skull was severely fractured and large pieces of his skull had been driven inward because of the knife you know so they had to like remove all that repair all that Cedric exhibited significant facial trauma and was essentially semi-comatose when he arrived at the hospital. He had injuries that were, in the doctor's opinion, consistent with having been beaten with boards, including multiple fractures to his face, his mid-face, and the lower portion of his skull, a fractured nose, which had been pushed inward, and a small fracture I'm sorry, a small skull fracture with bruising on the back of his brain. Good Lord. He was beat. Oh, Lord. And in addition to all this, he also had stab wounds, one to his eye, his forehead, and his neck. Like, and this is where I see the transferring of the DNA because he was going back and forth. Like, doing more, making trying to beat them, trying to make sure they were dead. Yeah. 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 The doctor also testified that Sanaya arrived at the hospital with significant head trauma. So Sanaya is the two month old, which included a large cut in her skull, in her scalp. I'm sorry, that exposed her bone. The right side of Sanaya's skull had been pushed or crushed in with a blunt object, resulting in a quote, open, depressed skull fracture. Oh, and these are babies. They're so resilient. Oh, the only, the only reason why I can share all this with a good conscience is that they survived. You know, if this is what happened, I'm not going to tell you guys, obviously what happened to the, the 
dead babies. You know, I, I don't want to go into the details of their injuries, but they were killed in the same manner as these children were attempted to be killed. Wow. And to think them babies were sitting there for hours on hours, hours on hours fighting for their lives. They said they were sitting there for approximately 40 hours. Kayla, how many? 40. Four zero hours before anyone came. Yep. Yep. Sanaya also received received uh, stab wounds to her lower extremities and she was hit with the boards as well. A two-month-old baby. A two-month-old baby. How do you even bring yourself to do that? The judge even said at trial, I don't know how you bring yourself to hold a two-month-old and stab and beat it. That's literally what he said. Wow. (sighs) And the fact that these kids survived 40 hours with these type of wounds is a miracle. A straight miracle. So because CJ's injuries were so life-threatening, police felt that they had to talk to him as soon as they could. If they could. So on March 7th, just days after undergoing life-saving surgery, CJ was able to tell police that his uncle Jr. is the one that killed his dad and attacked him and his siblings. Wow. Period. Point blank. I know who it was. I saw this. Ain't no question. So with that statement, police were able to get a warrant for Jesse's arrest and charged him with six counts of first-degree murder, along with, like, a bunch of other charges. A slew of other yes. charges. Yes. Wow. <sighs> Ciao. Now, part of his police interrogation was included in the first 48 episode for this case. And I'll include a link for which one it is in the description for episode 51. And this interview is something he would later claim highlights his innocence. The man is just, he's batshit in a sane way. Okay. That part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's trying <laughs> to sell us something. Yeah. Narcissist. Right. So when he was arrested, he was read his Miranda rights, he signed a written waiver, and he agreed to speak with the investigators. And they started off by asking him to confirm some details about what he initially told them when they interviewed him on March 4th. And he told them the exact same story, except he changed a few things. Mm -hmm. So this time he said they went to get a gun while they were out running errands. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that when they stopped to buy weed, Cecil introduced Jesse to the weedman as, quote, his bitch-ass brother who just got out of prison. Yo, this is my bitch-ass brother who just got out of prison. That don't even sound. Why am I telling a weed man all my business? Why am I calling my brother a bitch-ass brother? And he's In front of other people. Like, that doesn't even... He just went to prison for 14 years. (laughs) You know, I'm about to call him out of his name? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That works that way. Mm -hmm. It's feeling... It's giving lies. Mm-hmm. They also asked him how his relationship with Cecil was, to which he replied that one occasion, that on one occasion, Cecil had called the police on him and falsely reported that he'd committed a robbery. So remember when I said we're kind of going to get to it a little later? So this is, it's giving, he thinks his brother's a snitch. It's giving, I'm going to get you back. Hey, he could probably even blame Cecil for him being in prison for 14 years who knows it could go that deep but if it goes that deep see so why would you allow your brother in your home like if he was really that type of grimy that type of slimy like why would you let him back with all your peoples all your family i mean my fiance is the type that says family's family like you know you love family no matter what i don't know if he would do these make these decisions and mistakes 
in regards to them. But a I lot of people not. think that family would never hurt family. Like it's impossible. You know, even though I just snitched on him and cost him 14 yeah. years of his life, certain things you just have to stop seeing a person for what you think that they are. Yeah. And see that they're a person that could kill you just like anybody else in the street. Yeah. Hopefully Cecil really didn't do that. I hope he didn't. But I can't see him doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It seems more like old boy would make something like that up to make mm-hmm. it seem like everyone's against him. Right. Right. Yep. Narcissistic behavior. Hmm. Eventually, investigators started turning on the heat in this interview, and they played the tape recording of CJ saying that his uncle Junior stabbed him. So yeah, like they hit him in the gut. According to the investigator, Jesse became visibly upset, like he was going to cry. And then he changed his story again. Mm. This time, he said that when he went to when they went to pick up the gun that night. He and Cecil were arguing the whole time, and when they got back to the house, the argument escalated. According to Jesse, that's when Cecil reached for the shotgun that he already had at the house, and in response to this, Jesse started shooting. He then admitted that he tried to, quote, get rid, oh my God, of the children because he knew that they'd seen him. So he stuck them, and that's what he said, quote, quote, unquote, stuck them with knives from the kitchen drawer. You think a two-month baby is gonna snitch on you? <laughs> like, I'm not trying to hear. Make none it of make that. sense, sir. I'm not trying to hear none of that. You're selling bullshit. So, are you joking? And where was a shotgun in the house? Did they find a shotgun in the house? There was. There was a shotgun that was in the house, but mm-hmm. it it seemed like it was placed there. It was placed in like an open area in the living room where all the bodies were found mm-hmm. in an attempt to, you know, create a story. Like we know that Jesse had been trying. So to he do. had a plan A. He had a plan B. Yeah. Like he was trying to definitely paint a narrative. Mm-hmm. So at this point, full confession, you're going to jail and you better plead guilty, bitch. Like you better not put this damn family through all this shit. But oh no, when it came time for his trial in 2010, because yes, he went to trial because he changed his whole story. The entire story has changed at this point. According to Jesse, you guys, you're going to fucking do a belly laugh. He was a survivor of this mass murder and that he was actually hiding in the home under a bed when it all went down. (laughs) This corny (laughs) Negro. Krista, I literally hate him. I hate him. Like. What are you even doing? Like, and if you, which you're going back to jail. (laughs) And once you get in prison and if they dare hear what you said, like I would have laughed in your face. Like I'd rather have took my, my time for my crime. I I was about to say, I would sit there. Rather go out with some dignity. This is is a disastrous, embarrassing mess. You are under the bed. Hiding under the bed. Not only while four grown tell people was getting murdered but children and you was under the bed and you did nothing his defense team even let him take the stand in his own defense i mean technically they can't stop him but they should have done something to fucking stop him good lord when he was on the stand he claimed that the investigators coerced his confession so listen to a clip of what he had to say on the stand and it gets a little crazy, so just listen to it, you guys. If you're on Patreon, you'll see this motherfucker. Said, Mama, I did it. Didn't you? I told her 
Mama, they trying to make me say I did this. She said, who? Who trying to make you say you did this? She said, give me some names. I need their names so I can get you some help. Did you say to your mother, Mama, I did it? Yes. And did you tell her how you got into an argument with your brother? Did you tell her? I'm not saying it's true or not. I'm just asking you. Did you tell your mother about an argument that you made up? Yes. Why did you can't see five hours of that and let them determine? It was it a confession or was I threatened by Lieutenant Armstrong? Were you threatened by Lieutenant Armstrong? How you saw the tape. How you saw I'm the asking you. Line? We don't need to see the tape. I'm asking you. You can yes. tell because you're under oath. Did yes. he threaten you? Yes. Okay. He pounded on the table, right? That, yeah, that was he part of it. He screamed at you, right? That was part of it, yeah. And he didn't pound on the table, which it was... He asked me when he played the tape, and after he played the tape, he played the tape, what, 12, 13 times? And after he played it 12 to 13 times, after I still told him I didn't do it, that's when he said, I kill your motherfucking ass myself. You cold-hearted, murdering, killing That's what he did. And that made you confess no. to killing women and children? No. I what did? There. I sit there and he said, I got something for you. I'm going to throw your ass on that fourth floor and I'm going to let them kill your mother ass. So yes, I confess. To killing women and children? Yes. Yes, I did. He's so corny, bro. Kristen, isn't he... Kayla, like, class like, A, Kayla, Nebraska. Kayla corny. couldn't wait for his trial. Kayla couldn't wait for it. Got a haircut, brushed his teeth. Yeah. Life was ready for this day to act up, to show his motherfucking ass on wow. that stand. And that you could see that the prosecution was not playing with him. The prosecution was asking all of the hard questions, like, "Are you taking the piss?" We're supposed to believe that you were hiding in under the bed and then once you felt that the murderer was gone the murderers whose face you didn't see you have no idea who did this you left that house walked past all of those people dead in that front in that front room because you have to walk through the living room to leave mm-hmm. you walked through there stole cecil's bike because that's how he got to his girlfriend's house from there and didn't even call police for two days even when you brought it up to william who is fat hey do you want to go to Cecil's house and pick up Cecil so he can come eat with us? I think that was his his attempt of getting somebody over there so he could be with somebody when they discovered the bodies. You know Kayla. what I'm saying? Kayla. Plotting. Oh. And then you walk Sick. past the babies, like the Sick. half-dead babies. Sick. And you don't tell nobody for two days? Piss off. You're not Disgusting. fooling us. I'm glad the prosecutors Disgusting. came for him. Yep. His mother even got on the stand and testified to the fact that he told her he did it. There was a clip of him telling her that he did it, included in the first 48, Kristen. Like, hello. And yet he claims that his confession was coerced. When he was talking to his mother, it was after he already talked to investigators. So even though he, 
let's just humor him and say they coerced his confession. When your mother comes in and you're holding her hands across the table from you, why don't you tell her, mom, I didn't do this. They're trying to get me to say that I did this. But he didn't do that, despite what he said on the stand, because he's a piece of shit liar. That's not what the fuck he did. Right. More so, the baby was there with knife sticking out of his head, said that you did it. Like, I believe him over everything that comes out of your mouth. Are you joking? Every time. Every time. Well, it only took the jury between like 45 minutes, I think, to two hours to decide that 36-year-old Jesse Dotson Jr. was guilty of six counts of premeditated first-degree murder, beach, and they unanimous, unanimously agreed to sentence him to death. Ooh-wee. No matter Ooh-wee. how you feel about the death sentence, you got to be happy about that heavy justice gavel slamming down on his fucking ass. Like, you come up in this courtroom thinking you funny, thinking you slick, <laughs> thinking shit's cute after you just killed six people, you piece of shit. And then you have one of the shortest amount of deliberation times <laughs> before they take, before they say you're willing, I mean, you're ready you to not to live die. here anymore. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Before they yes. say that you deserve to die. Yep. He would later do an interview from Death Row with Fox 13 Memphis, where he stands 10 toes down on his innocence. And even gets a little snippy with the reporter, okay? You can watch it if you're on Patreon. And if you're not, listen to this. Did you kill your brother? No, ma'am. Did you kill any of the people in that house? No, ma'am. You said you confessed to your mother. Yes, ma'am. How do you confess for something that you didn't do? I keep telling you. How many times do I have to tell you? I was threatened. Do I have to keep saying I was threatened? It was horrifying. But at the same token, what do you want me to do? There was nothing for me to do. You could have called police. Could have. I did. Why? Because there's something personal with me, you know, and there's something that I got to live with. The night that police showed up here. Well, I already knew what happened. You know, I knew my brother then was dead. So, it was, you know, what you mean, what I thought. I already knew. And so you're telling me that you knew there were kids in that house that were dead and dying, and you chose not to call police. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know, a lot of people feel that you're a monster. Well, that's, that's their opinion. You know, people have their opinions. You can't stop people from having their opinions you know i think people are monsters too you know so hey it's vice versa i know i'm not a monster like the definition of someone who doesn't want to own up to what they did it makes me sick yep he is probably one of the worst people to do this killing thing in the sense of taking absolutely no responsibility like six lives are gone I mean, you should have heard more of the interview. He was saying, oh, I, you know, I love them. Like, I love all of them still. And, you know, but I didn't do it. Like, he was saying that toward his surviving, you know, nieces and nephews. Because they were saying, we just want to know why Jesse did, like, why Uncle Jesse did it. Because we loved him. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I love y'all too. You know, I still love y'all. But I didn't kill y'all parents. He's like, yes, you did. Like, I saw you. Like, Like, Cecil's probably thinking, like, let me... 
you know, like, yeah, I saw you. Right. It's like a person literally crapping on the ground, turning around and be like, who did I that? Didn't do that? Exactly. Yep. So as of right now, that nigga is still on death row awaiting his last day. Apparently, he got married while on death row. I was going to include a picture of his wife, but it'll be the second time a death row inmate's like woman has reached out to me over some shit I said about their man and I just don't have the time. So, yeah. Cecil's surviving children seem to be doing really well, which is fucking incredible and amazing. Mm -hmm. They've done one or two interviews since the tragedy. YouTube has actually a lot of clips, guys, if you want to just see stuff in regards to this case. Mm -hmm. The kids are doing well, it seems. Thank God they're living and that's our case. Wow. That was intense. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. You know, I don't like cases that have to do with kids. I hate them. But somehow, Kristen, a lot of our listener requested episodes include kids. And I, and I have to have that. a conversation with our listeners. <laughs> like, do these. Because, yeah, because, like, on one end, it's like, it's so appalling. Like, you have to do this. Like, yeah. you ha- I want to hear your opinion, all that. On the other end, it's like draining. Like, yeah. this is really sad. And I just couldn't imagine seeing something like that. Um, meeting a person who would do something like that to a kid, which I'm sure we've met. You just never know who you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, you guys let us know what you thought about this case. Oh God. Tisha, why did you do this? And I pray to God I'm pronouncing your name right. You know, we fucking struggle. Letitia, Letitia, like where did you get this from girl? Did you watch this on 48 hours? First 48. First 48. (laughs) Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, you know what to do. Leave us a five-star rating, please, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really helps out the show. Really helps out our ego. Just kidding. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Just kidding. Maybe It's all love. No, it's all love. Thank you guys. And as always, (laughs) be safe. Be safe. Protect protect your your peace. And and protect protect your space. space. So So we don't don't have have to cook your case. case. Period. Bye. Bye. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.